Quite often we think that our small individual eco-conscious acts might mean so little when it comes to the giant scheme of preserving our planet. Well, today's guest not only incorporates these little acts into her daily life, but also fights for the betterment of our planet on a national and now international scale by being an environmental lawyer. Stay tuned to this episode because I have interviewed one of my closest friends, Sharon Matthew. She is a Stanford Law graduate, founder of COVID Rights India, and for the last four years through her work, has been upholding different environmental acts and laws all over India. This episode is only part one of what can only be an amazing series, which is why it's also one of the shortest. It's also the first episode that I've shot in New York City. Woohoo! So have fun watching this episode and as always, like, comment, share and subscribe. The video is starting right now. Hi everybody and welcome to another fabulous episode of Sephra's Green and Greener show where we decode simpler steps to a more sustainable life. Today I am joined by none other than Sharon Matthew. Hi. Hello. It's really nice to be here. Can you say that at least without laughing? Like People should take you seriously. It's really nice to be here. We don't yell. Gosh. Anyway, um, Sharon Matthew is extremely special because not only is she currently an environmental lawyer and has done a plethora of amazing things in her life, she also happens to be one of my bestest friends. So I'm so happy and I'm so honored and privileged that I have the opportunity to interview her. Without further ado, uh, you know, let's get into it because Sharon's very pressed for time as she's studying for her bar exam. So it's an actual honor to have her here. Anyway, so Sharon and I, just for some context, have been close friends, best friends, besties. I don't know. Since since we were we've been in school. So we've been together since like 13 years? 12. Yeah, more than that. No, when we were 12 or 13. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, you joined school late. Kidding. Okay. Anyway, so um, one of my first questions to you, Sharon, is going to be, we went to the same school. What made, what, what part did you embark on in school that got you interested in law? Um... I don't know. I don't think it was anything in school, really. Okay. I think... Uh, I think I was bullied by Safra. And so I felt the need to rise up and uh, fight for those who were the voiceless. And yeah, I think that was my primary motivation. Why are you lying? <laughs> that, okay, that's really not what happened. It was one time when I was chasing her around school. We were in fifth grade. We weren't even actually friends then. We became friends later. What? This is my story and I'm sticking to it. I just swear, this is it. This woman has done so many amazing things in her life, defended like actual people in need. And now she's telling this is why she became a lawyer. Okay. Anyway, so it was nothing in school. So maybe was it was it your journey after school? So can you take me through take me through school and what you've done till today that has gotten you into Stanford Law? Yeah, so I don't think it was anything in school really that got me into it. But after the 12th grade, for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a doctor, to be honest. I think it's because in India, you only have two career options. Either you get into medicine or you get into engineering. And that's how I always thought that, oh, well, I'll pick that one because I just didn't know how to do like physics or chem or anything of that. 
but um I decided in the 11th grade that I didn't really like biology and I thought that that was quite a big uh, prerequisite for being a doctor so it wasn't going to work out mm-hmm. so in the 12th grade I took I dropped a year I just took a gap year and I just wanted time to figure out what I wanted to do and during that time I worked for an NGO called uh, Make a Difference so they taught children around the country they we went and we raised funds we went to orphanages and there was this one little exercise that they made us do as part of the team building thing about if there's one thing that you want to do in your life what would it be like and i think it was that whole year that kind of shaped me mm-hmm. because i knew that if there's one thing i wanted to do it was to have an impact on someone's life that just wasn't myself like i wanted to do something more than just sit in an office and you know i don't know help companies to I, i don't know it was just not like i needed to do something more and um that's when i decided to get into law because that i met another lawyer there who was in who was studying at the time and there's just so much power and the amount of ability to make change that law provided and that's how i got into it and then that took me to GNLU Gujarat National Law University and um yeah 5 years there and then what did you do i spent 5 years there and i entered law school thinking well there were two things i could possibly get into either human rights which was the one thing that got me there in the first place mm-hmm. or environment because it was something good but i was drawn to environmental law there because and it's not like i was particularly like an environmental person back in school i don't think i was i don't think you were i don't what i, I was i don't think you, but we want Yes, driven to make it our career. Like, of course, not, because there, a there wasn't enough information. Correct. We didn't know enough. We just we got introduced in grade six randomly to a subject called environmental education, and that sort of clicked a bell. I mean, not clicked a bell. Sorry, rang a bell. Yeah. And sort of started something, but yeah, career-wise, of course, like we didn't have enough. We didn't know enough at that at that time. Yeah, and I think actually. maybe it clicked a bell for you or rang a bell for you but it didn't do that for me i yeah. think like when they teach you those things it becomes something that you just have to mug up or you just have to just digest all of that information without you really understanding the implications of it so that's really not what motivated me to get into it but during my internships in law school i got to intern with i got to clock with a judge who was in the delhi high court who's now um one of the youngest women supreme court judges amazing justice seema kohli who oh, shout out to justice seema kohli she's amazing and um i i did an internship in every sphere of environmental like i worked with uh people who drafted ei reports so environmental impact assessment reports and a law firm and a litigation firm and a policy space all dealing with environment and then i narrowed down on litigation because it's just so thrilling i truly believe it is the best job in the world and i spent 2 years doing that right after law school nice and then now you just graduated from stanford law yet 
congratulations thank you and uh, you know i'm sure that took immense i, I don't know if there's a bigger word than immense immense tremendous amount of hard work so what was your sort of motivation you know okay you've done 5 years as a you know back breaking law student why did you want to take another year to do your masters so technically i actually worked for 4 years before i went for my masters but stanford has been a dream since i was in my third year of law school okay because i realized that it's not enough to just go through the rigors of law school you have to do extra curriculars you have to shape so i started shaping everything that i was doing keeping this one stanford thing as my goal and it's been it took yeah 6 years and then 6 years of prep and 6 years of like just working towards that one goal and that's what got me to stanford but um i forgot what your question was no that's fine i said what motivated you to to do your masters i think you pretty much oh no so the thing that motivated me to do my masters is that unfortunately law in india is especially environmental law in india is fairly at a nascent stage we've had the same laws since like your the environmental protection act or the the air pollution act when you look at the air pollution act it was drafted in 1981 it was it's never changed since then it's been amended once with some tiny little thing but it hasn't changed and so that's because it isn't to one it's hard to legislate on issues like environment which has become so politicized and the second is that there just isn't enough political will or it's just people don't see it as a priority india is still stuck in the discussion of environment versus um economy and um yeah i just felt like i needed to learn more from a country that was doing it better and my motivation wasn't even the us specifically it was california and everything that i did uh during my job we would we would look at california and the things that they had done and they were leaps and bounds ahead of anyone in the game and so i had to come there and study and you were yeah wow so i mean you said from the third year in, in law school this became your dream what about your journey from grade 12 to the first year of law school i know you you know you mentioned you took a gap year and you to figure things out but how much prep is actually required to become a lawyer like especially an environmental lawyer or does one become an environmental lawyer later how does that work no so in law school you learn everything you don't become an environmental lawyer then uh i guess you do internships you can pursue internships which help you get on that track you can do moot court competitions which help you help you get on that track um you can publish articles those are the little things that you can do be part of student groups um but especially in fact if i had to say i had one environmental law subject which is it's just so sad that law schools don't offer enough they have so many more courses on other things but just not on environment and if it's one thing that this incentivizes me to be in this career path it was my subject environmental law it's taught horribly there's just not a lot of great emphasis on it but it's all the other stuff the internships i i think it's that that's the thing that pushed me getting into the practical work getting into the ground and actually seeing how it works go to court and it's a fascinating place yeah wow you sound like you get like an adrenaline rush out of it i do i think that i will never be bored of this job i think it has made me cry it has made me 
the happiest you the feeling that you get out of court when you you win or when you actually like you know crack something in a case which you didn't think of before or which a judge appreciates that's amazing that's amazing obviously like there are moments that i've come out of the courtroom i'm just like no don't cry don't cry hold it in but where did you reach a room and then cry yeah but it's amazing and i don't think anyone can speak this way about their job like it's yeah yeah i think it's truly a privilege you know to be able to sit down and tell someone that i have the best job yeah in this world i don't know but it is i hope everyone can aspire to that it's it's really awesome so wait going back before you went to law school right what determines your your marks or your percentage or the prep work that you put in so the way it works is that you have something called the common law aptitude test which is our application test and it was written a long time ago but we glad it clat <laughs> i don't know here but they at the time that i wrote it which was we we back <laughs> but uh they test you on basic english verbal reasoning logical reasoning uh and then legal is one element just to check your legal aptitude with they'll give you a problem set you need to know you need to study in advance you i did go for coaching for that yeah but one of the things i think that's the most challenging part of it but it's also the most fun part of the, the exam there's also like 20 marks of math which i clearly messed up i was just like you know what it must all be b <laughs> so it's an mcq test yes okay it is but it has negative marking oh that's a, but i don't know if that's changed yes yeah but it's it's really competitive in the sense that um i think right now there are only 14 national law schools there are a whole bunch of really good private ones as well mm-hmm. but it's the clat is designed only for those 14 okay and which is why there's so much of a pressure but honestly i took it twice just to because i knew i wanted to get into a national law school and i was i was Fairly, yeah, yeah. You always knew, okay, that's my goal, and I'm going to do anything to achieve that. So, if I understood correctly, so the CLAT happens only once a year. Yes. Ah, okay. So that's that's a bit, yeah, but yeah. it's worth it. I think that the the environment that you get at a good law school, mm-hmm. the opportunities that you otherwise the the fear is that you get pigeonholed into one career path that they'll only put you into. corporate law or they you just won't have that kind of exposure so right. there is a benefit in going to a place which is nice so if you know this this is such a random question just popped in my mind how many people sit for the for the for the glad exam i think at the in the year that i sat it was maybe like 70000 and the first um mm-hmm. i want to say 900 900,000 get it that like in 14 law schools that's it there are such few seats i'm actually shocked genuinely i didn't know that it was that bad no cuz um uh unfortunately i mean i can't say unfortunately yeah. but there are most of the law schools have domicile or so the the general seats in most of the law schools aren't that many damn yeah so that that ratio is horrible it's it's really sad but I mean, which entrance exam in India is not competitive? So I guess sort of makes sense then. But speaking about the coaching classes, so is that how long did you take it for? Is it something that's expensive? 
how does it work? Honestly, I don't really remember how much it costs because mm-hmm. at that time I was financially dependent on my parents. Yeah. But I don't think it's that expensive. I'm not sure. Um, I can't say about that. No, that's fine. We can. But it is intense. Uh, one, I forgot to mention, one part of the CLAT is GK, which means you have to read the newspaper every single day. And yeah. like, it's not just, it's current knowledge as well as um, random things yeah. from like historical stuff. That That's hard. Okay. Yeah, it's it. It is everything. Very difficult to be in to be in touch with every single thing that's happened. But that's insane. Oh my gosh. And um you said there are fourteen law schools. Okay, okay. I'm just wrapping my head around these facts and pick but what was the duration of these classes? About a year, like about okay. ten months. But there are a lot of school, uh, coaching classes which give you um crash courses for two months right oh. before. Right. But I think it's really hard to do Especially the GK part of it. Yeah. Catching up on news for the... For the whole year in two months. It's too hard. And then you won't pay attention to the other stuff. It, so you would recommend uh, like someone to do it all of their 12th grade then? Yeah. And what about GNLU? Would you say that it is something that uh, a common person in India can afford? Or is it expensive? So the benefit of national law schools is that they're government law schools which are fairly cheap. I think they're very well priced I mean um, I don't think you could have got me I, I think my parents were really happy with my decision to go to GNLU nice. and the good thing is in GNLU also has scholarships right so they do provide financial aid and those kind of things so it's it's actually a really good school that way but specifically if you want to look at financials I think it's about when I went it was a lakh a year that's everything included of your accommodation, your food, and the courses. Okay, and any comparison to like a private law school, if you would? Yeah, so when I was studying, um, at the same time, Jindal was eight a year. Oh my God. For you. Um, so it really does have like a huge benefit to be to be going to a national law school. Okay. I had another question. What is a bar exam and why is it required? Um, so the bar exam is what allows you to practice in courts. Mm-hmm. Technically, at least in India, uh, if you're a corporate lawyer, if you only deal with, if you never enter the court, you don't have to write the bar exam. Okay. But the minute you litigate, you do have to. The same for the US, you have to write the bar exam to be qualified. Um mm-hmm be before the court. Okay. And how, I mean, you've also, you've also cleared the bar exam in India. How intense or easy was it? The, the one in India was far by miles and millions of miles easier. Okay. Than the one here. Okay. But the good thing about the one in India is that it's just one exam for the entire country. Unlike here in the US where you have to write a different bar exam for each state, which I think is absolutely absurd. But but that's the way they structured their country, right? Like each state is a federalist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how you do it, but amazing. I'm going to come back. Of course, I have like so many questions for you. It's just super interesting. So I'm going to break it down, okay? Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions specific to your environmental law journey, okay? 
now that you've you've told us that you interned, you've worked, you've done, of course, you've read up the laws, uh, you know, in India, and now you have the you know United States exposure. So, what would you say is the main difference that say a school like GNNU versus a school like Stanford approach the broader topics of say sustainability or climate change? Um, I think the one major difference was the way that the subjects were taught. Okay. Like, I can give you an example. When I studied energy law in Stanford, a lot of the focus was also, they made me go back to math. And that is something, I was like, where am I? Why have they do? I was just like, no, 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 no. This is not my thing. But they wanted you to understand how um, the rate is calculated for power and those kind of things. Because they think that you need to have an understanding of how the... The fu- how the system works mm-hmm. to be a better litigator or to mm-hmm. be a better lawyer. So the primary difference was that the way the the way the subject was taught, right? They want you to understand how a rate is set, what factors are considered, and they believe that you should know these things. Even lawyers should know these things because um, that will make you a better litigator. It's not just it's far more open minded. I think in the way that, and it's more interdisciplinary, if I might add. Like, okay. One of the good things that Stanford has to offer is that you can take any class in any of the other schools, not just the law schools. So you can keep combining, shuffling it around. So one of the classes was that I took was in the medical school. Where, wow. uh, yeah, where I took climate crisis management because it was being taught by this doctor who dealt with the pandemic. And he said that there are so many correlations in the way that you look at the pandemic and in the way that you look at climate change as a crisis and how people have to start responding to it. So it's just the way that everything is taught to you. It's not, here, this is the book, memorize it yeah. and spit it all out in the exam. It's It just opens your mind, yeah. I think it was an amazing experience. Nice. And in GNLU, it was more like, road learning you would say like the typical way that we were all taught yes I do think so okay because unfortunately that's the way and I think that's also the impression that people have of law law students that Mm -hmm. oh I bet you have to memorize a lot yeah you do yeah in law school you have to memorize a lot and it's they train you I guess that has its benefits because I'm able now to study for the bar exam (laughs) by really memorizing a lot and it's not scary to me yeah so I won't diss the system the education system that much because it, it is helping me right now but how much of it has it taught me how to apply what I learned no I think it was my job and my internships good okay I mean that sort of makes sense and thank you for restoring a little bit of faith in our Indian education system because I mean otherwise there's a lot of uh, you know bashing let's say against it i mean you know which it deserves in some aspects of course but we should uh the lawyers i hope are praising the rote learning system right here but okay so um again i'm going to oscillate a bit here and ask you about uh corporations right so how do environmental lawyers hold corporations accountable for their environmental impact so i think my views with respect to this has uh, seen the most amount of change this one year. Okay. Because um, I think all through law school and while I was working, I went and I worked 
right after law school with a public interest law firm. Mm-hmm. And so they were always on the good side. I mean, they never, um, they never represented corporations. That was their thing. And we would always file suits on behalf of civil societies or those kind of things. But being at Stanford, one of my, my climate law and policy professor was actually um, the partner at Big Law, which is Big Law is traditionally one of the largest law firms. Kind, I mean, they're tier, tier one law firms, okay. but mainly only represent private like parties. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wait, how is this even possible? Like, how am I being taught climate law and policy by someone in Big Law? It was just something I couldn't fathom. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was one of, it was amazing. He was a brilliant teacher. And he is the one who changed my views towards this. He took the firm and he said that I'm going to use the money that that firm has. And there's no point in attacking these corporations. They're part of the problem. Yeah. So you have to help them. And so he's known now as this green lawyer who argues in the Supreme Court. And he has a strong stand that even a few people like Shell or Chevron come to me. If you're using me for like greenwashing purposes, he's like, I'm not going to do that. But if you truly want to shade, like if you truly want to change or, you know, be better, be greener, be more sustainable in your practices, I will help with that. So I think that there is merit in working with these corporate firms. Um, but it is tricky now with greenwashing and all, but, but still. How you hold them responsible in the U.S. is very different from how you hold them responsible in India. Mm-hmm. In India, the laws aren't as robust. Okay. So you have to rely on your fundamental rights. And the arguments are not that great because we're also living in an ecosystem which favors having these businesses, which favors diluting environmental laws or clearances or permit structures so that these businesses can just have their operations start faster. Yeah. But it's far better in the US, I think. Okay. And that brings me to another question about, uh, you know, the political, there has to be politics involved, right? In, in in both, in all countries in the world. It's not just India or the United States for that matter. So, but in which country now in your experience, have you seen it sort of, let's say, more negatively impact, uh, you know, actual policies that should be upheld for our environment? In, the, in India or the U.S.? In India, for sure. It's worse in India, you mean? Yeah, 100%. Because over the last, I think since the start of the pandemic, um, no, I think like a year or two before that, we saw a whole lot of environmental regulations and laws start to get diluted. So little things like you would give performance ratings to these clearance-granting bodies mm-hmm. and say, Hey, if you do it fast, we'll give you five stars. If you take more time, we'll give you four stars. So you're incentivizing them to have quicker checks. You're incentivizing rubber stamping. You're, 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 one of the things says, if you don't carry out an inspection, five stars. What? Yeah. If you don't go on-site inspection. So they want everything to get smoother under this new thing called ease of doing business. Oh, um, and that's really messed things up. And initially, uh, somewhere along the line, they started saying that, you know, we're doing it for the pandemic because, you know, we've been hit, the economy's been hit. 
but we're recovering now. Yeah. But those laws haven't changed. Like they're just, it seems to be set in stone. And crazy. But I mean, you know, usually like a lot of people have been uh, giving slack to, to the United States every time they point out like, oh my God, India and US are the biggest polluters and this and that when the United States is also, is the, I mean, in terms of carbon emissions purely, aren't they the biggest uh, or maybe the second biggest? Well, so that's how you measure it. Um, if you look at historical emissions, starting from the very first time that they started emitting, from that, if you look, then obviously yeah. the US is amongst the largest and India isn't as large in comparison, not at all, because our industrialization happened much later. Yeah. But if you look at right now, as of today, mm-hmm. India is, I think, the third largest, if I'm not mistaken. That's the political, in the international climate politics, Okay. that's the primary debate. What are we measuring? Are we measuring historical emissions or are we me- measuring as of today? And that's how the U.S. is constantly saying, hey, let's not look at the bad, like, let's not look at, and I don't think that's fair either. Yeah, I don't think that they can completely um, abrogate responsibility from what they've done before. They've had their whole, they've developed. Exactly. And now they can't say, all right, you guys, hear yeah. something else about it. Stop, stop, you know. Yeah, that's not fair at all. And I think a lot of financing is needed to help. But, there have been moves towards that to help in that regard. So I think it's positive, but yeah. I think India internally is just doing too much um, within their domestic politics Yeah, to go back on what they've promised. Initially in 2020, they'd say things like, you know, we're going to stop coal. We're going to shut down these many plants by 2030. I think this year, he said that um, you can't, we're not gonna plan. We're not shutting down any of these power plants now. Oh, okay. So India's reliance on coal isn't ending. Yeah. Those kind of things. Like the world is moving away from coal. Mm-hmm. The world is moving away from dirty fuels. But yeah, it's the transition has been hard. Yeah, I think it's a. It's always going to be one of those really touchy topics because um, it's politics and development, and you know people are always going to be fighting about this. So it's just going to be one of those things that it's going to get left behind. Like I can. I mean. We can see it yeah. today in India. It's, it's quite sad. I mean, not that the United States is great uh, at, uh, you know, upholding environmental laws. I mean, with the, uh, I'm now I'm interested in asking you, what about the latest, uh, allegations is the wrong word, what about the latest developments in fracking, like in, in the US? Because they, they're trying to be more self-reliant, right? With, you know, why you ask me all these things? <laughs> Did you get this? I have no idea. I really have only been studying my bath. Please don't ask me. Okay, I don't know what's up. But, okay, okay. So I just went to really into that. I was like, tell me about this, I'll tell you about that. No, but I can tell you the issue with the US yeah. is that they don't, this whole structure of um, the presidents, it's it's far more political in the US. Yeah. Environment as a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so you saw Trump sort of rolling back on a lot of laws, a lot of pulled out of the Paris Agreement, those kind of things, right? And now you're trying to see Biden, like, go back, get back into it. It's just constantly like the seesaw with them. So an environment is such a long-term game, which needs stability, which needs business commitments for a, a extended duration. They need reliance interest is what yeah. we call it. That 
it's hard to do that in the US. No, I, I think that completely makes sense. Okay, getting back into one of my questions of being an environmental lawyer. So maybe this is more broad and not your outlook per se, but any examples of successful legal cases in the environment space that have recently occurred that you can talk about in India? India and US. Like that's been a huge victory. I think in India, one of the big victories that we had was actually a case by one of my colleagues back when I was working. Yeah. And I thought it was really good. Like it was the new Goa airport. Nice. We challenged that. Well, it was victory. It was a short-lived victory. Yeah, because the, the new airport is... I know. Okay. But if you look at the judgment, we won. Nice. Okay. Let that be on record. Yeah. So what... What were you all broadcasting and why? Yeah, so the issue with the Goa airport was that... Goa. The new Goa airport was that they had started construction. They had... They had... Left, they had completely removed an entire forest in that area. It was an ecologically sensitive area. And they started doing that without submitting what we call an environmental impact assessment, which is required by law. And so we filed that first case. Then the court said, hey, you can't do that. So they stayed the construction and said, go ahead, go survey the land and submit your environmental impact assessment report. They went and then they submitted a report which said, oh, there's really no, there's no diversity here. There's no ecological diversity. There's, um, there are a couple of bats and rats and rodents. And yep, that's about it. And we said, no, that it's it's the Western Ghats. It's yeah. notified. It's a notified ecologically sensitive area. It is so rich in species and none of that was accounted for. And so we went again. And I think that's the thing about India. It's like a constant fight. Yeah. But I still love it. But again, we went and we had them get a better report out of it. But finally, um, the... The third judgment which came was they passed it saying that in national interest, it is important that Goa has an airport out there. And that's why it got overturned. But hey, you tried. I think so too.